0: are back with another episode of Cibola Creek Conversations. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Yeah, I uh, I think you also wanted me to, but I made the executive decision to go back to the intro. <laughs> did I not uh, perform to the I standards? You, I thought you did fine. <laughs> I even messed it up. I didn't say my name that time. <laughs> I'll tell you what, We just slightly out of the usual routine, I didn't think about it, now I'm thinking about it, and now it's messing up.
1: There you go. Well... You're welcome to introduce and host the moment <laughs> whenever whenever you want. If Thanks. you ever need me to step in, just give me a heads up. It's a lot less nerve-wracking than host moments on a Sunday
0: morning, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it's been a while since you've done a host moment on a probably, Sunday morning. Probably because the last time I did it, I forgot to turn my mic on. <laughs> Everybody, and now they're like, uh-uh. <laughs> Not again with this guy. No, I think we should be able to work through that. <laughs> it, it's, it, Yeah, they, uh, it's much more because you have to say certain things.
1: Well, I'm excited. Uh, I think we have a date where you're going to be preaching. Yeah. Not just host moment. You're going to be preaching the sermon in two services. Yes. How are you feeling about that? You know, I had a dream. This is actually no joke. I had a dream the other
0: night. Is it an anxiety dream? It, it was, but it wasn't. It wasn't about the actual scenario. It was. I. I was. I guess somebody told me to do it very last minute. So I had like two days to prepare, and then like Sunday morning, I'm like, "Oh, this is going to go so bad." Oh, so
1: in the dream, you didn't find out about it until two days before. Yeah, it was either a day or two days before, and then I was like,
0: "Oh no." <laughs> I had, like, two pages of just, like, stuff I've cobbled together, and
1: I'm like, this is not going to go well. So let the record show that this is a good, what, four months, about four months before you have to do it. Have you chosen a topic? Well, we talked about how, um, I guess that's
0: something I wanted to talk to you about, but uh, the angle you were taking whenever it comes to holiness. Yeah. And so, but there's also a whole bunch of offshoots that can, are similar, so...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be tackling top uh, the topic of holiness um, in June, so you'll have two and a half months to figure out what other dimension of holiness you might tackle. Everybody will forget by then, anyways. Exactly. That'll be so many weeks <laughs> later. and and I'll be, you know, I'll be away for some of the weeks this summer on a sabbatical, and people will be like, "Paul, who?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who's that guy? <laughs> well,
0: I'm either the second to last or last week, I think. And you so, are the last. Uh, after me, they'll be ready for you to return. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, we'll just uh we're saving the best for last. Yeah, yeah, that's what we'll go with. Yeah, that's what we'll tell people. No, I'm excited for you. I I feel a little bad that I won't be there just just for by way of support, um but I'm going to do an introduction, video introduction of all of the speakers for the summer. So oh, sweet. I'll have some, I'll try to think of some nice things to say about you that kind of get you off on the right foot. Be graceful. <laughs> <laughs> we'll no, do that. <laughs> well, it won't be hard. No, I'm excited. I think that'll be a great opportunity.
0: Now I'm excited for it too. It gives you, we've talked about this before, but it gives me the kind of anxiety that is like the good kind. Yeah. It's the, Oh,
1: I should do that, but it's going to be, yeah. You know, new Something and you haven't done before on that scale. Yeah. And um, I think it's, you, you and I, have we've talked, I think there's a lot of, I see a lot of um, ministry potential in you for um, different expressions of how you serve people. And um, I think this is kind of the next challenge for you to tackle, and I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. I was actually talking to Kevin the
0: other day. Um, Kevin is Ashley, the student pastor's husband. Oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I might try to get, one or two reps in just over there just to get oh. used to talking again. Because right. used to, whenever I was in student ministry, I would do it just about every week. Um, it's been a while. Huh? It's been a while since I've done it in that format. Yeah, where it, they aren't necessarily talking back. So yeah, not that I can't go on a good diatribe. but
1: What do you think the chances I have of getting Kevin to do a message on a Sunday morning? Not much, not much, not he's, much. He's a pretty quiet guy. <laughs> he's a quiet fella. I love that guy, but man, he's quiet. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think that he would put himself in that scenario if he could well, help it. Maybe someday.
0: Yeah, maybe someday. Maybe someday. But on to our uh, really small and easy topic today. Small and easy. This is something that you have kind of well, obviously you've talked about in a roundabout way and even more straightforward ways through kind of throughout the years and different series, but also just we've talked about it on this podcast. um, And then there's a lot of different questions that come up around how uh, a Christian or a follower of Jesus should engage with the broader culture. And then within that, uh, the political landscape.
1: Yeah.
0: How should they engage with it? How should they uh, interact? Should should they want to change it, or, or um, is that is that a, you know, leave unto Caesar, what's Caesar's kind of scenario? Um, but anyway, so that's kind of our topic today, is how should Christians engage with the broader culture, and <clears throat> I guess with with that, the secular culture, and then politics, which is broadly seen as being secular. Um, and I kind of felt it was a good topic, because I know you've gotten pushback on many different topics that we've topic on the podcast or even that you tell on Sunday morning it's like well that's a political issue so um so anyways that's our topic for today um of just how do we engage with it and uh so I kind of figured it might be wise to start with well how does anybody engage with culture how does anybody engage with politics what what kind of goes into that
1: yeah so just by way of preference I'll say uh this should be an interesting conversation. Um, and, and you might not like all of my answers in the sense that I may appear somewhat ambivalent because, you know, looking through the outline that you provided mm-hmm. as a guide for our discussion, there's, um, there's a sense to which I'll answer them as yes, and then there's a sense to which I'll answer them as No. Because really what I'm finding is that there's, in this discussion of culture and morality and politics, um, it's a two-sided coin. And I think the two sides are, on one side you have truth. You have like God's abiding truth about everything from right and wrong, moral, immoral, just, unjust, righteous, unrighteous. You have this... You have the truth um, paradigms of all these discussions. And you and I both know that today's truth is under attack and all sorts of different ideas about what is truth. But So, so there's a response to culture and there's a response to politics and there's a response to you know, morality. That's part of the response is about truth. But then you flip that coin over and there's a part of the response that's about love and grace and compassion and and sometimes that gets dicey about how how you have these conversations and what kind of influence you have and what kind of initiative you take in these discussions and in these matters and trying to you know honor the other commands of love your neighbor and be respectful and kind and compassionate to human beings who may hold a very different perspective on the truth that you're holding to. And I think what's so unfortunate is nowadays um, it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to demonstrate a loving response While you're still holding to the truth, because we've polarized the two. And if somebody often will push back, is that, well, you're not being loving when you're telling the truth that I don't agree with. And so it's just a dance, it's a delicate dance of how do I treat people well? How do I treat people with respect and kindness? when we're talking about truths that are highly energized and there's lots of octane to them and there's lots of passion behind them. And I'm just finding that it's, that's probably harder sometimes than the argument itself. So I'm just kind of saying as we move to the discussion, I don't want to appear ambivalent, but I'm going to try to straddle both sides of the coin in how we respond to topics of the day
0: and i'll uh i'll throw a uh i guess another option out there that i i guess instead of just because the two have been polarized i would throw out that a possible a possible reason as to why it's getting harder and harder to respond compassionately is because the topics have gotten I guess the topics of discussion have become more and more ridiculous and more and more. Yes. Evil. I, I would say.
1: Yes. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. And again, that's where it makes the dance so difficult. Yeah. There, there's real evil at stake in some of these discussions and the, the manipulation and the, 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 um, nastiness of some of how it's handled. Um, really makes it difficult to respond in a loving and gracious way. And that, I yeah. think that's part of the challenge of what it is to be a Christ follower is is discerning how to do that. Absolutely. Especially when, like I just said, you get attacked now if you speak truth. You get attacked as being unloving because yeah. people don't want to hear what you have to say or don't agree with what you have to say. So um, I think... I just wanted to say that up front, sure. as we walk into the discussion, that it 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 gets a little dicey um, from time to time. But um, you asked the question, you know how how does any person, a Christian or not, engage with culture? I, I think probably a good place to start that discussion is with some kind of a definition of culture. Um, we use the word, but not necessarily all have the same definition. This is one that I looked up. Um, Culture is the way of life, especially the general customs and beliefs of a particular group of people at a particular time. How I might say that is culture is all the things that add up to a way of life. Mm-hmm. It's sort of all the stuff that contributes to how we go about living our life. And really what I'm finding, because I'm fascinated by culture and, and the more I poke around in it and try to understand it myself. Um, Culture is all the things that have primary influence on our way of life. So uh, if you think of anything that has influence broadly, it's, it's contributing to our culture. So art, entertainment, social media, politics, education, uh, laws, advertising, all of these things that have influence in how people think and how people interpret life, they're ultimately the things that create culture. So thinking about the answer to the question, how does a person engage um, in culture? It's basically... There's a number of different answers. Uh, Some of that's influenced by the family that we grew up with. Some families are very passive culturally. They just sort of take anything that comes down the pike. And other families tend to be very alert to culture and the influence that it has on their kids. So they're very proactive and very protective about what children see, what children hear, what children experience. So those attitudes end up shaping then how that child grows up and then as a teenager, young adult encounters their culture. And sometimes that's for the good and sometimes that's for a bad. Because, you know, if a kid's grown up in a really protective uh, protective, protective environment in his home, which is a culture, protective environment in his home, he may have one of two reactions. He may be very wise and discerning about how he encounters the world around him. Or he could be, have experienced something that seems so prohibitive and so um, protective that he's just got this insatiable curiosity about all the things his parents kept him away from. So now he's engaging culture in a completely different way. He's, yeah. he's pursuing all the things he wasn't allowed to. Um, I think our education um, influences how we um, approach culture. politics um i i think i could be safe to say this might get me in a little bit of trouble but i think how a kid that was raised in public school versus a a child that was homeschooled might encounter culture and the different dimensions of it differently just with different mindsets Um, i think the work that you do uh, has something to do with culture. Some jobs are very impacted by what's happening politically. Other jobs, there really isn't. Maybe there might be some sort of an economic impact about what's happening in politics on that job. Other jobs are influenced by laws that are being passed and and um, you know structures that are being created in the company to adhere to. Um, current political and social trends like for instance right now um you know the diversity equity and inclusive inclusion emphasis that you're seeing in a lot of corporations they're having an impact on how that person that as, as an employee encounters those topics and then you have somebody who works in a completely different industry a completely different company that isn't really being mindful of those sorts of things so they're encountering it differently um I think the way that we're wired has has an influence on how we encounter culture. Um, you're very intellectually you know wired you you sort of process things from a very um, intellectually interest interested kind of perspective. I'm I have this insatiable curiosity about almost anything and so um, I have this fascination with culture just because, Of my curiosity other people they're not really all that enamored with it like my wife is is essentially uninterested in all things of a of a cultural nature in the sense of what we're talking about yeah like she might be interested in music because she's a musician she might be interested in art she might be interested in food which are all like contributors to culture uh, because of her interest but she doesn't she has little to no interest in some of the things that i'm interested in politically or morally it's just all she sees that is is noise and she doesn't want anything to do with that um we're all we all have different passions and some people are very passionate about you know the beliefs and about justice and about right and wrong and so they engage culture and they engage politics from that very kind of passionate energy and again then like i said other people they just don't really care yeah um so it's interesting in our household right now um, both of my sons are essentially out of the house uh, my youngest son graduates from college this weekend um and then our his brother our oldest son is five years older so it's interesting my oldest son and i have very similar political perspectives and we have a very similar fascination with culture and politics and trends and all the things. And my youngest son is, I'm not saying he doesn't care. He's just, he's not all that interested in it. So it's funny when we're all together, the four of us and we're having a meal. Um, I'll say something. My oldest son picks up on it as a reference to something that's in the news. And <laughs> David, our youngest son, is like, what are you guys reading? Where do you get this stuff? I have no idea that any of this is happening. I don't care. And so it's just, it's just different beliefs, different passions sure. about how they engage in culture. And yet my youngest son, he's, you know, he's in the world of marketing. That's what his degree is. So he's very interested in certain cultural expressions and certain cultural components but when it comes to the kind of the political scene, is little to no interest. So, you know, I think everybody comes at it from a different perspective of what level of intensity they engage in culture, engage in the discussion of politics. It it's really a lot about kind of who you are.
0: I agree, and like, and so uh, as an example, because I'm kind of similar to you in that I am interested in the, uh, the ethical, moral uh, side of both politics and culture. I almost feel like a responsibility on myself in the same way that, say, your youngest son, David, not necessarily that he has a responsibility on himself, but that he can bring his knowledge in that area to like you and your oldest son. And you and your oldest son can bring that level of knowledge to like him, instead of him having to go out and I guess, cipher through everything. Right. I almost feel a responsibility to go through what's happening politically and culturally and be like, hey, uh, for those of you who have no interest in spending all the time necessary to, like, cipher through all of this, right. here's kind of what's going on. Here's, like, some problematic things. And I almost think that that's one role of, uh, say, a podcast like this and this discussion is like, hey, how do we engage this stuff how do we kind of decide what's what's worthy or what's bad or what's good and what's bad? Um, yeah, yeah. And so I guess a question with that is like, you mentioned passions, interests, how we engage with it. I guess what do, for somebody who isn't at going out there looking at um, why this is right or wrong, whether it be culturally or politically, like me, what, do, what does every person bring to the table, bring to... Uh, say they encounter something, like you mentioned the diversity, equity, and inclusion. What does every single person bring to that discussion? doesn't have to be that specifically. But into a discussion like that to decide what's good or bad in it. What is What is the filtering method by which everybody can, like they either get a red flag thrown up or, you know, it's a green flag. This is okay. How does somebody decide if something's good or bad, even regardless of their passion or education? What are they bringing
1: to the table? Um, If I understand your question, here's how I would respond to it, is whether someone's interested in it or not. Well, let's say it this way. The person who's uninterested in it whether they're willing to recognize it or not, it has implications on their life. Sure. And so I think really what we all bring to the table is the need to be wise Mm -hmm. and careful about the kind of life that we live. And not only the kind of life we live, but the kind of life we leave for those who come after us. So... Where where you and I might be much more um, engaged in discussions of politics and morality and, you know, the implications of culture, because that's interesting to us, we might have more specific feelings and opinions and perspectives on it. And so we're going to speak up or we're going to move toward it. Um, the person who doesn't, if if they just sort of throw up their hands and, well, I don't care about that stuff and I'm not interested and it doesn't have any bearing on me, well, it actually does have bearing on you because whether you're interested or not, it's creating the world that you live in. Yeah. And that world's going to have implications on your life and on the life of your children and the life of your grandchildren. And, I, you know... Nobody wants to sound alarmist. Well, I don't say nobody wants to sound alarmist. I'll sound alarmist. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, my perspective is I don't, I don't want to be, you know, like the doomsday prophet. Sure. I don't want to be, you know, doom and gloom. But the truth of the matter is whether my wife or my son or friends are interested in not or not in what's happening politically – I feel a certain sense of alarm because what's being lost or what's being kind of wrestled over has enormous implications to things like freedoms and rights and uh, justice and morality that says once we lose it, there's little chance of getting it back. Yeah. So while some people might say I don't really think about that stuff very much, and I don't ever speak up about it, and I don't ever engage over it, and I don't read up on it, and I'm not, I'm just not interested. Well, that might be part of the problem, because you know you use the illustration of the proverbial slippery slope, and I think there's a lot about mor- morality and ethics of what's happening in our nation where we may, we, all, we may already be past the point of no return or point of return because we're so far over the edge and we're going so fast over the edge that once it hits us that, oh, my word, this has huge implications on our life as a nation. Well, now it won't matter how much scrambling we do, we, we won't be able to get back up over that curve yeah. and so i think we all bring to the table if i understand your question what we all bring to the table is a responsibility for it
0: mm-hmm.
1: now it may not be your burning passion and it may not be um, everything that you're interested in but a certain level of engagement or awareness is crucial because it influences things like policy and voting and administrations and And all that stuff has enormous implications. So this illustration just popped in my head. I think it's legit. Um, I'm not a big money guy. I I don't, money isn't necessarily of great interest to me. And I could say, well, I don't care. Mm -hmm. You know, we bring home a paycheck, we distribute it as we need it. But it's irresponsible for me to say, oh, I don't care about that. You, I don't even want to know what we have or where. Because I have to plan for our future. Yeah. So whether it's my burning passion or not to know, you know finances and investing and all that stuff, it's just mm-hmm. part of being mature and responsible and wise to be diligent enough about it that you don't end up compromising your entire future financially Mm -hmm. because you you didn't care does that make sense yeah and i think i see that a little bit um and i'm not even talking about the person who's just uninterested in politics what concerns me is people who kind of see how dangerous situations have become but they don't want to engage because it's just so uncomfortable and so vitriolic and so polarized that they just pull back and don't do anything. Don't say anything. Don't defend anything. And I think I think that's probably what bugs me more than anything is watching people choose to be passive about it, recognizing some of the significant implications to what's happening in our nation or in our world if good people don't stand up and speak up. Yeah,
0: both those people. Well, that th- that is the one that's particularly annoying those types but then there's also another type that i almost uh feel for i guess but like i have understanding is because a lot of these uh, there's a lot of stuff both culturally and politically that that is very deceptive and if you aren't ever watchful or or you aren't listening to people that kind of helping you decide like cypher through some of that stuff it can be very um you can be it's very easy to become deceived by some of it because it use a lot of it uses a lot they use a lot of the same language um, as as what we would say, right? You're not you're unloving. Well, God told me to be loving, loving so I don't want to be that, right? And so, and so, I guess another point that I was kind of thinking of is that everybody brings a certain, they bring a their own worldview, their mm-hmm. uh, their uh, the way that they see the world. However, that's built up for each person. Into their education, into the culture, into music entertainment, they they bring something. They bring a lens through which they they look through and see the world, and that will kind of determine what they see as being good, bad, not really of worry. Um, so, like even the disinterested person could still look at something if put in front of their face and be like, "That ain't so good," or "That's okay," yeah, or "That's great." Let's we need to promote that, right. And so, whether you're question or not, I think, kind of getting back to the question, is that you are looking through a lens that's made up of, I would say, values, beliefs, and morals um, that you kind of decide what's right or wrong. Would you, would you kind of agree?
1: Yes, yeah, so you're right. Everybody has a worldview. Their worldview ends up having um, an influence on how they interpret what's going on around them. Mm Because your worldview is essentially a lens through which you look at life. And if your lens, just for illustration's sake, if your lens is blue, then you see life through Mm -hmm. kind of that blue lens. Um, So, yeah, a worldview has an enormous influence on um, how you interpret your world. And I I think everybody's worldview ought to include some sort of moral responsibility mm-hmm. for the direction of the world in which they live. Mm-hmm. Take some level of accountability for it. And then you get into a huge discussion of um, what are the non-negotiables that a person should you know, hold on to as they interpret that world that's coming at them so fast yeah and that's that's part of the problem is we have such different definitions of truth and right and wrong and good and bad that now it just seems like it's really really cloudy on how people i think you and i could sit at this table right now we could read the newspaper and if the newspaper is giving us the news an honest report of what's happening that's a tall order that's a very tall order cuz <laughs> that's not happening in the news uh, which is part of the culture yeah you know? um, but you and I could look at things and go how in the world did we get here like this is this is lunacy some of the things that are being promoted as normal or, or they're endeavoring to normalize and you think this is complete lunacy and then somebody else who just decides, I'm not going to be concerned about that stuff. What they end up doing is living in a world where lunacy reigns. Yeah. And they don't have any fixtures by which they're going to push back, or defend, or stand up for something opposing the lunacy that's being you know, railroaded on a society. Yeah. So... I don't, I don't know if I'm answering your question like, like you had hoped, but I I think the one thing that we all bring to the table is a responsibility to preserve what is best and right and good. Now that's where it gets dicey because we all have very different ideas about where do you start with good, right, and best, but, um, yeah. Well, and I kind of mentioned earlier when we first started is that,
0: uh, you get a lot of pushback depending on the topic that you determined to preach on um, or teach on is that, well, that's a political issue. We don't need to be talking about that in the church.
1: We hear that a lot. But, yeah, I get that a lot. And I, I think we've discussed on here before, at yeah. least briefly that I just couldn't agree, disagree with that more. Yeah. Um, Cause much of what is happening in society, it's being perpetuated by culture it's not political, it's been politicized. I feel like I've said that a million times. It's not political, it's just been politicized. And from activists to politicians, they've taken these moral issues and these ethical issues and they've leveraged them to raise money, to get votes, to pass laws, to influence the direction of a nation. But they are inherently not political issues they are moral and ethical issues therefore i think particularly for christians they have a responsibility to be interested in that to be aware of that and to speak into that um and to talk about it that that's the thing that's kind of um frustrating to me is we just don't want to talk about it because well that's politics and we should steer clear of that and I go uh, no we we should talk about it because it's having enormous implication on our nation it's having enormous implications on our lives and part of our responsibility as Christians is to be an influence so we should talk about these things quit hiding behind the fact that they've been politicized and bring them out into the open and let's talk about them, engage on them so that people can be discerning about what it is they're being fed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, and and also I think you've said it's like, well, yeah, because the politics is just downstream of the morals of, I say, the nation. And I've kind of, I heard this quote the other day and I don't know who said it, but um, essentially that politics is downstream from culture and then culture is downstream of religion or spirituality, just kind of the religious or spiritual mm, feel of
1: a of a, of a nation, I suppose. Yeah. And and you probably mean this. I, I would actually insert one. Um, the quote politics is downstream from culture and culture is downstream from morality and ethics. Mm. And then and then religion by then that. religion. Yeah. Now that makes sense. So um, I, I kind of agree with this. I, I mean, I understand the statement is that um, each one upstream influences the other. Um, but I, actually, I think actually culture's sort of like, um, uh, it's like a baked dish. And it has all these ingredients that have created it. So there's a part of me that looks at culture is is all of these. It's politics. It's, it's faith and religion. It's morality and ethics. It's education. So that's all that's baked into culture. Um, I understand the quote is that one influences the other or one is determined by the other. But I, I kind of look at it. Uh, slightly different in, in my mind I'm thinking more of what is what is religion and spirituality and what is morals and ethics and what is politics and education and music and art what are they all baking into what now Culture's is ex- kind of the all-encompassing culture. yeah yeah does that oh, make, does yeah, that make absolutely. sense
0: absolutely yeah. um I w- yeah I agree and so I guess there are a lot of Christians I think particularly now um are getting a lot of pushback that, like you said, like we kind of been talking about, is that they don't need to bring their their faith or their religious beliefs, their morals that are influenced by their faith and religious beliefs into the realm of, they always make a distinction, into the realm of culture or politics. And so I guess I would, I would ask, I have an answer for myself, but do you think it's even possible... Or do you think that a Christian should approach these things without their faith? It's almost like the whole separation of church and state. That that idea has been magnified to a degree that you shouldn't be voting, you shouldn't be pushing for certain policies, you shouldn't be for a candidate simply because they agree with your religious belief. Or you shouldn't try to judge that cultural trend with your religious belief. Yeah. Is that even
1: possible? In true Christianity, it's not possible. Yeah. Okay. So as a person who's genuinely seeking to follow Jesus, and then I would add, genuinely seeking to follow Jesus by living in obedience to God's truth, it's not possible to not have bearing on the world around you and to be concerned or um, responsive to it it's just a Christian by virtue of following Jesus becomes sensitive to what is wrong so if you're looking at wrong happening in your world there should be some sort of response to it now I said true Christians there's plenty of people who you know, call themselves Christians. They're kind of cultural Christians. They, they go to the church. They say the things. But they're not really actively seeking to follow Jesus in the world in which they live. And so it is possible for them to be unengaged between their faith and their politics or their faith and their morality. We see that all the time. People who they are, they would be the first to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, because they've reassured themselves, I said the prayer, I did the thing, I go to church, I'll go to heaven when I die. And that's sort of their frame of reference. But that that declaration of faith is completely disconnected from how they go about living their life. They don't even care about it. So, yes, they're able to separate their, separate their faith from their, you know, their morality and their ethics, which leads to how you vote. So, um, does, that, does that? Yeah. Answer your question. Yeah.
0: Just because I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of pressure on people to suspend the influence of their beliefs when engaging in the quote unquote secular part of society. But I, just, I I also I would agree with you. I don't think it's possible. I also think that it. I can't do it from the degree that if I see something is wrong or in unjust, or as being harmful, which most things that are wrong and unjust are, then I, there there is a desire in me for that not to occur anymore or for it at least to be seen as what it is, right Rather than people whom say like Christians or people who are a part of the church being deceived along with it.
1: Yes, and that, and that's that's what's happening is that, because a person isn't all that diligent about an understanding of their faith, they're not being discerning about what they're listening to and what they're voting for or what they're you know standing up for. And because they' they lack discernment about those things, then they're ending up being deceived. And this isn't politics. this is straight up spiritual uh, truth is the Bible is very clear that, Part of the way that Satan works in the lives of people is to deceive them. Yep. And that deception is usually not you know knocking them over the head with something you know obvious and outright. It's usually this very slow, calculated sort of you know moving them off the trail to where they wake up someday and realize they're really, really far from home, even if they wake up. To it, They've been so deceived, they don't even see how far they've strayed from the truth of their faith. And um, so, again, whether you're really interested in politics or really interested in all that stuff, the, the morality, the ethics, you still have to be alert and aware to, uh, to it all. Otherwise, you're a sucker for being deceived, and you have an a en- Christians we have an enemy that wants to see us deceived because in the deception it renders us powerless to where we don't have any kind of courage don't have any kind of confidence we don't have any kind of influence by which we can stem the tide of evil or push back on a culture that's racing in a dangerous direction
0: so then coming off of that should Christians attempt to influence their culture whether that be one that is primarily christian or one that is not
1: yes this is one of those yes and no questions um or answers um yes a christian ought to desire and do what they can to um attempt to influence toward that is good what is good because it's wise because it comes from god and we trust and know it to be the best way so if we're looking at what's happening in our culture we're looking at what's happening in our politics we're looking at what happened in our society and we're going man if we continue down this path this is bad this is dangerous this is going to ruin lives then yeah, we, we should desire to, that our beliefs have a voice in that discussion. At the same time, one, I don't think it's realistic to have the expectation that um, we're ever going to have, that Christians will ever have the majority point of view. They never have, since we left the garden Um Christian or you know people of faith have always been a minority outnumbered by a world that pushes back on what they believe and I I don't I don't I don't want to live in the naivete that somehow uh, we would ever be in a position of um, majority influence on how our nation is run especially when the scriptures are very clear that one will always be the minority and there will come a time that we as followers of Christ will be the persecuted ones. So I just don't I don't live in some sort of fanciful idea ideal that that we could have a nation that literally lived according to the way of Christ.
0: Yeah. Well I would agree. I would say that it's like an on an individual mm. I would say that it's on the institution as a church, so every single church, and then the family, and then also on every single individual, if you're part of a family, I guess, and in the church. But if not, just on every single person to act out what is, in every action that they have, to promote what is good, true, and beautiful by way of God's law and word, rather than a desire to make others do the same. It's your
1: promoting what's
0: good, true, yeah. Beautiful.
1: So what you just described is what I believe Jesus refers to as the kingdom of God. Mm. The kingdom of God on earth is not a political movement. It wasn't. It wasn't in the first century, and that's that was some of the confusion on the part of the disciples and the Pharisees. Is well, the Messiah was going to be a political movement, and Jesus comes along, and he's not political at all, and so people had trouble recognizing him to be Messiah because of what they were expecting. Yeah. But Jesus comes along and he's really talking about something that happens in the heart. And he's hap- It's something that begins with an individual more so than like, a like a movement of people, like, like a movement of a group. It's as each individual's heart is surrendered to the way of Christ and those people start finding each other, then as a collective group of influence, they advance the kingdom of God in the world. So what you're describing there, I think, is is possible. Um, I think Christians whose hearts are truly surrendered to the way of Jesus and they seek to live that out in their everyday life, they can have a powerful influence on the direction of their world, mm-hmm. a nation, their community. Um, but as far as aspirations of some sort of, you know, Christian political uh, advantage, I I just don't even think it's realistic.
0: Not as a body, I would say that like um, different. There have been at least historically different political um, visions or movements that have been greatly influenced by. Christian thought and and in God's word say abolition right yeah, I w- I would argue and people always push back it's like well Christians use Christians in the south use the Bible to argue for slavery all the time and I'm like yeah but of course there are people wrongly using God's word to right. justify their own sin which I think might be an issue today um <laughs> no not might be is yeah yes and, and so everybody yeah well, Christians used it to justify slavery. Yeah, but there's far more abolitionists rightly using it to try to tear slavery down. Yeah. And it was what largely did it in England as well, um, whenever they patrolled the seas to find any slaves on any ships to, to stop it. Um, and so, yeah, I would say like today, yeah, you have the people using, misusing God's words to justify sinful deed in the same way that Christians did slavery. Yes. But I would equate them to be the same thing, not the way that people always try to bash Christianity yeah. because there were a few that used some verses wrongly. I would say that today people are also using verses wrongly to justify a lot of the movements that we have today. I would say LGBTQ mo- normalization is a huge piece of that. Right. Um, but, but yeah, and so I, I would say that there's definitely political vision or visions that become political because of Christian thought. So whenever we see great evil... In a society, I would say that Christianity can have influence in that way, but not necessarily in the the rule, the ruling way. Uh, it's like it doesn't like have a to have a way. ruling way. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I would agree, and I think history, even biblical history as well as you know post first century history, um, I think there's plenty of examples of movements. Empowered by Christian belief, and consequently, then the spirit of God's power that became very influential in the direction of a nation. Yeah, and that that could be uh, political groups, and that could be something else. I mean, I'm thinking of the fact that there's a couple of places along in history where there were revivals and those revivals that kind of, you know, altered the spiritual fabric of a nation or of a world. Um, Some of those were movements that started with college students. And some of those were God used a particular voice or an individual in a very dramatic way to speak to, you know, the soul of a nation and call it to repentance and conversion. So, in that way, yes, I believe that Christ followers can have an enormous influence. And I would hold out for that way as being more likely to happen than the thought that, you know, we as a federal, you know, institution would ever come to repentance and find ourselves leading the nation from a Christian point of view.
0: Yeah, and this gets into like This is a whole nother podcast, but this gets into the whole, all the chatter about Christian nationalism. Right. And it depends on your definition, but if it's like, well, are you a Christian? Do you care about your nation? And would you prefer Christian values to be predominant? I would say yes for myself as an answer to all those questions. If that makes me a Christian nationalist, then so be it. (laughs) Right. But I'm not going to go out there and like, hang people if they were if they refused to say Christ is lord right. you know
1: that's good to know
0: <laughs> yeah you don't have to worry about that whenever
1: you're gone on your sabbatical <laughs> i'm just Let's out there rallying see. people up can i see your notes before you uh... <laughs> <laughs> no i i agree with you um i'm not interested in i'm not interested in a political type of influence i think on the individual level every christian has a responsibility to cast a vote not not as an act of obedience to some scripture i I didn't mean it that way but as as a person who has an influence with a vote and has a responsibility for the well-being of their children and their children's children and friends and, you know, the fabric of their nation. They they have a... I think they should accept the responsibility of utilizing their one vote in the direction of what they believe to be right and best. So political involvement in that way. Um, certain individuals, just because of the way they're wired and the way that... Um, have a platform they can certainly be political voices in our nation but the thing i'm holding out for is that somehow the church and i only have stewardship for one church um creek community church i my hope is that somehow our church cibola creek community church could have such a persuasive and pervasive love and grace and mercy and um, a servant's heart and we leverage that for good that it could ultimately have an impact on at least the world in which we live our little little corner of it and whatever god might choose to provide is increase outside of like you know, the world, the part of the world that we have influence in because we live in it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, so my hope is that not because it's Sibolo Creek Community Church, but because it's a community of devoted followers of Jesus who are engaging in their society with the love, the mercy, the compassion of Christ, that a difference is made. Um, Part of that difference I don't, no shame in admitting part of that difference that you hope is not only just doing nice things to help people, but hopefully through the work of doing nice things to help people, people find Jesus as their Savior. And then their hearts transform, their hearts change, they're brought to a place of repentance, conversion as a, you know, spiritual work begins in their heart and mind. And now this. Person who was formerly far from Christ and living one way has now been brought near to Christ and is living another way, that ends up contributing more to the greater good. That's the story of the scripture. Yeah. People living one way, meet Christ, start living another way. And God using each of those individuals, knitting them together as a community, whether you want to call that a church or the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, knitting those people together and using their transformed lives as an influence for good in their world. Yeah. Now, I was reading um,
0: uh, Wayne Grudem's book on ethics and and the portion in there that was talking about government in preparation for this a little bit. Um, and he was talking about how support for moral legislation is not enough. It's it, What it really takes is it takes... Uh, inwardly transform people to actually influence and change a nation, or to change a society or a culture. It takes the inward tr- inwardly transformation of a followers followers follower of Jesus, and then him living that out w- inside of that culture and inside of that society right. to actually change it. Right. And the thing is, is that like if we believe that it, the beautiful thing is that the way in G- the way in which God has commanded us to live. If we believe that's the best way to live, the way that would produce the most good, the way that is the most um, meaningful and fulfilling and purposeful for our life, if we believe that's true and then we live it, well, then I also believe it's true for my friend who doesn't believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then him witnessing the way in which I live my life, which I'm not even necessarily, like you kind of you kind of said, it's like I'm not even necessarily doing it for him. I'm doing it because I'm called to worship God. That's our ultimate goal. Right call as a followers of Jesus to worship God. Well that just happens as an awesome side. <laughs> right. Like your life well lived
1: is evangelism. Yes. It's part of evangelism. Sure. I mean there's yeah, more yeah. like specific. Yeah. But you know what I mean. Like yes, I do know. In fact, the verbal evangelism doesn't work unless the life yeah. corresponds with it.
0: Yeah, but but a life corresponding with it can work without the verbal like Absolutely. The specific side. But yeah. there's more specific Evangelizing, of course. Yes.
1: And I think my understanding of what Christ taught and modeled and what the New Testament scriptures call Christ followers to is that kind of life, that quality of life that is then appealing to those living outside of it as an invitation to consider Christ. Um, i mean really when you look at god's design for the nation of israel and his blessings on the nation of israel it was part of it was intended for israel to be an influence on a pagan world and invite them to also put their trust in israel's god because they saw the blessing and the prosperity and i don't mean that financially but the the healthiness with which their nation thrived it was a witness god intended it to be a witness yeah i think the same is the same is true of the church that god intended that there be this group of people called christ followers whose love mercy compassion generosity unselfishness respect all the words was so intense that people are like whatever those people have i I need to have some of that. That was an invitation to Christ. Unfortunately, does the church, and I'm talking about not the building or the steeple, I'm talking about like the community of Christians, do we have that kind of compelling presence? I'm not sure we do.
0: Not anymore. Kind of going back to your example of Israel, you saw throughout the Old Testament when... uh, uh, in relation to Israel as a nation, Israel always got in hot water whenever they allowed, instead of influencing the nations around them, the nations around them influenced it. Because it was supposed to be a holy nation, a nation set apart, a nation that was um, God's one nation that was following his way of life, and like you said, influenced the pagan nations around them. But whenever they compromised, whenever they stopped um, doing what was true, saying what was true within their own nation, well, that's whenever it, of course, it no longer has an influence because it just comes like everything else. Yeah. And so, I would say for a lot of the community of Christians in America, but I say in different places across the wor- the world, part of that acting rightly, part of that living as the Christian community, being the church, is not is not compromising our way of life, uh, our what we believe, our beliefs, yes, in face of. The pagan countries in the face of a secular culture right. that would much rather see us influenced by it rather than the other way around. Right.
1: Yeah, and and in a million different ways, the church, the community of Christians have been unduly influenced by the culture. And so what's happened is the church has lost its edge. It's lost the power that it was originally bestowed. Doesn't look any different now. Yes, it looks so much like. I'm not saying that carte blanche of all Christians. I'm just saying uh, we can certainly look at the Church of Europe and its historical presence. It's been extremely compromised. I think the Church of America is not far behind it, Um, and so probably like there's been throughout all of history, both. Israel's history as well as then Christian history. is There's always just going to be a, a small remnant of people who, you know, embody the ideals that Christ had for his church and God will use them in some profound ways to stem the tide of the advance of evil mm-hmm. as, as what I think part of what the kingdom of God on earth was about is To hold back the advance of evil, you know.
0: And on kind of an uplifting note, I'm very harsh on both my generations and the ones coming up, um, because I feel like I can be, eh, since I'm part of them. But I do see a real, like, desire amongst um, people my age and even younger. Even at we had a staff meeting just the other day, and Kristen brought up how there's like almost a resurgence in these like orthodox churches with liturgy and and this old school way of doing things, where a lot of people kind of had a bad taste in their mouth before, and rightfully so for a lot of reasons. Um, But there is almost this resurgence in back to the basics type of like traditional, like hey, uh, we're we're getting kind of scared and things aren't looking too great, so maybe we should just like okay let. I need to know maybe what I believe, how that should influence some things, because um, right. I'm feeling kind of unsteady. And the church is a great foundation that you can put your life on. Uh, well, a good church is a great foundation to put your life on.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I think that will be just another reflection of God's redemptive movement in history is yeah, the church has gone through eras where it's been very powerful, it's lost its influence over you know a series of compromises. And then something shakes it at its core, or a new generation rises up and says, not on our watch. And then they embrace either some new expressions of faith, expressions of their timeless faith, or they reach back and define something that at one time reflected a, a great you know, commitment to faith, and they kind of resurrect it and pull it back into relevance. Again, just a, I think it's a demonstration of God's faithfulness that um, he's still at work, even though you might look around and go, wow, this is out of control. It's like modern day judges. Yeah.
0: Which is a pretty cool idea. But yeah, no, you definitely do. It is just the redemptive arc of, that is just cyclical it seems Right, kind of goes back and forth
1: yeah so I'm you know I'm at this very interesting uh, juncture in my whole interpretation of this um, again like I said I'm very I'm fascinated with culture and morality and ethics and its implications on our lives as Christians particularly because that's, that's kind of the, the the uh, groove that I kind of run in. Um, so I, I uh, I'm looking at our world right now from a very curious perspective. Like this is either, this is either you know, the fat fast race toward just the loss of all that we ever knew as good and right, or God's got something up his sleeve that. In some unique way, some unique time, there's going to be basically some sort of revival that will um, that will be utilized for kingdom purposes, for redemptive purposes in his grand plan for what he's up to. And I, I don't know how to call it. I really don't. Um, I look at some things and I'm just, I shake my head and go, I don't know how we recover from this. This is this is really scary that people actually believe these things to be true and right. And then then you hear the other story and you go, well, who knows? God, there might be hope for all this. My hope is that the evil has become so absurd <laughs>
0: that it's going to be real hard for most people to go along with it. But one thing we can be confident of is that our enemy is, if he's anything, he's prideful. And uh, Mm. perhaps he's tried things too quickly in the past few decades, and it's become so absurd that he's made himself kind of looking like a laughing stock.
1: That's a great perspective because what you just highlighted there is something I don't think many people understand, is that we have an enemy. He's very powerful. He's very conniving. He's very intelligent. I'm not taking anything away from that. But he's not all-knowing, Mm-mm. and he's not all-powerful, and he's not, um, you know, eternal and infinite. So he is limited. And I don't think most people recognize that even Satan, our enemy, has limits. And so you just, you just highlighted one that maybe in his pride he will miss, a, you know, a step in the process. Or he will he's in his pride, he's pushed so fast, so hard that he's made a mistake. And the mistake will be seen for what it is. We don't have any concerns about that with God because he's infinite and he's eternal and he's all-knowing and he's all-powerful. So he doesn't make mistakes, but I think we forget sometimes that the enemy can. Yeah, well, I've always said that I think that... <laughs>
0: It's, it's a funny statement, I always say. I think Satan kind of gets a bad rap. And in that, I mean, I think that he gets blamed. <laughs> I think that he gets blamed for more than he's honestly... Well, I mean, some of that is just that I think that <clears throat> we blame him sometimes unnecessarily whenever it would be more helpful to blame ourselves than just our own sinful nature. Oh, yeah. Because um, I'm just like, well... Maybe, but also maybe you just did something dumb, <laughs> and you should repent. But and same thing with myself. I said I try to say that to myself all the time. But but yeah, no, he's very. Pr- I mean, you're talking about a being who's who knew who God was, in heaven, and still tried to fight him. So it's like, yeah, this guy's going to make a blunder a time or two, <laughs> you know? Right. And so, so yeah, I would say I'm hoping that he's been he's acted so pridefully and in in his arrogance,
1: people are like, wait a second maybe not yeah i i mean i like that thought i hope yes i like that hope but and i don't want to sound pessimistic here but i read enough and i just go i shake my head and think they are this naive evidently or this di- disillusioned and deceived that we will we will have this fight all the way to the end there's not even that much further to go like
0: i've said that a couple of times but it's like once you there's one more weird like thing that if you if you can get it normalized there's really nowhere else to go but they're trying we're at that doorstep so
1: yeah yeah but um i don't know why this thought keeps jumping in my head here but um kind of going back to one of the discussions we had a little bit earlier is I've never believed that you can legislate morality um, this feeds into my understanding of why socialism isn't possible can't survive is um you can't you can't legislate compassion you can't legislate generosity you can't legislate um, love because the minute you legislate it it's it's now become obligation and it changes the very nature of what love was intended to be or what compassion was intended to be. So when I, when I look at some of the political efforts on either side, uh, and I don't mean that right or left, I mean um, kind of a Christian value legislation or a non-Christian value legislation, I'm, I'm just not a big fan that it will ever work because I just don't think you can legislate things that should come from the heart. And anything that gets legislated, I think history would show that it can be manipulated and abused and eventually misused uh, by people in power for their own advantage. So it wouldn't matter how much you legislate that everybody contributes to some greater good of everybody else, that will eventually be abused. And that which is contributed will simply be um, leveraged toward a small group of people in power. I agree. And and it won't really serve the larger good that it was, you know, sold to us as. I agree, yeah. I definitely don't think that you can legislate... um,
0: You can't legislate good morals, but you can legislate against evil ones. Yes. Which I think is just a distinction to be made, which is obvious, but just to make it.
1: Yes, I I
0: agree. There's a a weird line on some things, but it's like murder. We should legislate against murder. Right. But then that even gets weird because it's like, well, then abortion becomes up, right? And that becomes a little bit... For some, it becomes murky. And so, you know
1: what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so I I agree with you in saying you can't necessarily legislate good, but you can legislate against evil. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that, as we're seeing, is that um, the evil that's that's being legislated or being permitted... um, there's nobody stepping in the way of it. We're actually creating laws to protect it. Yeah. It's becoming it's we're we're calling evil good and yeah. good evil. Which is the you know, prediction of the scriptures. Yeah, scriptures being right again. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> and so that's that's where I'm these days living in this culture and this political landscape that we do and me trying to kind of keep my bearings about it both as an individual person, follower of Christ, as well as a pastor to a group of people, I'm trying to look at what's happening from a biblical perspective and kind of realistically set my expectations. And so when the scriptures tell me, you know, uh, they'll exchange the truth for a lie... I, I just I I can't act surprised that that's happening I'm like oh yeah God cool. or you know the more I watch you know basically um Christian being pushed out and actually penalized I can't I can't act all alarm about that I, it is alarming but I can't be surprised about it because scripture speaks to it that it's an inevitable process of a corrupt culture when you have Christ followers standing up for something right. So
0: yes. And I know you said this again, but just to reiterate what you've already said is don't, <clears throat> I try not to allow, and I know you do too, because you said, it, but never allow um, the not being surprised the, oh well, of course, like, yeah, that of course this is kind of how it's going Yeah, to like for, to not, Call something what it is, right? And right. so, like, whenever I have, whenever I'm talking to somebody, like, if I hear something that's either, you know, wrong or un, it's untrue or, or it's evil, um, I feel a responsibility to say what that is and to yeah. say, and, and, to, and then to then say what I believe is true. I could be wrong. We'll figure that out in the conversation, right? But, but to then say what is true in face of what is wrong or evil that's been said. So there's still that responsibility, like you, like up made it Yeah, even earlier.
1: though I may know, quote unquote, know where this all ends up, doesn't relieve me going back to the early part of the. It doesn't release me or relieve me of the responsibility. To, be a, to be present and to be an influence on what is happening.
0: Yeah, you're expan- Yeah, we have a responsibility to expand the kingdom of God, not. Yes. Bring about hell faster, <laughs> not to diminish. <laughs> that's a great you way know? to say it. Yeah, it's like inaction is just gonna, yeah, it's gonna bring about hell faster, or to diminish the kingdom of God.
1: Right. No, that's there. You go, Wyatt, being very insightful again.
0: Yeah. Well, they happen without trying. So, <laughs> whenever I teach in the summer, there's gonna be a whole bunch of nothing. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. But. Well, this has been good. Any last thoughts?
1: Uh, no, I don't. I don't think I have any last thoughts. Um, let's just reiterate what we brought up in the course of the conversation. Um, every Christian should be concerned enough and discerning enough to know how to properly use their influence for good, for the sake of of what God's wanting to accomplish in the world and rather than shrink back from it um, because you feel intimidated by it or to just be lackadaisical or uncaring about it. Either, both of those are wrong. And that that's what I'm seeing most of these days. It's not necessarily that people don't care, but that people have been intimidated to be quiet.
0: And I feel like a lot of people like... Um I talk to a lot of Christians who don't feel intimidation. They just don't know why something is wrong, or why something is bad, or not, the, or not um, biblically uh, sound, or in line with what they believe. They just don't know, and so uh, there's also responsibility. It's it, it's not the pastor's job to to educate you on everything, right? Right. <laughs> but it is the church's job to do that for one another, and so and in community. And so I think that along with what you just said people also have the responsibility to be able to discern what in culture or in politics is good and what is bad. So that way you can then both speak and live um, accordingly, according to God's word, rather than adopting right. cultural ideas or political positions that are yeah. not so.
1: Yeah, Yeah. so we said we were done, but here we are. We're talking some more. Yeah. <laughs> um, it comes back to something that just keeps being re-emphasized to me is the place of God's word in the life of a Christian. And it's amazing how many Christians subsist on very little influence of God's word in their life on a on a daily or substantive basis. They grab a little bit on Sunday morning when they come and, you know, listen to the message. Some of them may, you know. Read a little devotional book a time or two a week. I'm talking about really thirsting for the knowledge of the truth of God as revealed in the scriptures and really, you know, digging into that so that I can be wise and I can be discerning and I can be courageous. That I think is in short supply these days. Yeah. So if if our listeners take away anything about this whether you're politically interested or not or you're engaged in you know the world of culture or not do everybody a favor and make it a priority to immerse yourself in the study of God's word for the most discerning person that you can be the most wise person that you can be about what's unfolding around you. Yeah. And in
0: that way your life's gonna be countercultural regardless of how yeah or of how much you're trying for it to be. Yeah. Well that's good. Enjoyed it, sir. Well thank you. Thank you. And we'll uh see everybody next time.